can gather around the Word of God, gather in a place where, Lord, uh, you can be represented. And I do pray that, uh, Lord, your spirit rest upon us, Lord. I've already felt your presence in the music, and uh, I do pray, God, that you help us uh, to be surrendered to your spirit, Lord, that we might walk in the spirit and not fill the lust of the flesh, Lord. Help us to lay cares and concerns outside of these doors. And, uh, Lord, I just uh, thank you so much for those that are faithful to pay their tithes, Lord, to give offerings, uh, Lord, that are not only touching our local community, but, Lord, reaching around the world literally touching the lives of people in need. And Lord, I just praise you for that. Thank you so much for the gift of giving. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of the Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for salvation. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this body. I do pray that you'll bless this church. I pray you'll bless this membership, Lord. I pray that you'll bless us today, God, and that you'll use our lives, uh, Lord, that we might be a light in the darkness. And uh, we just want to tell you thank you for what you've done and, Lord, what you will do. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> so... We're in the book of Joshua. Imagine that. This is our 35th message in the book of Joshua. It has been incredible. This has been a life lived for God is what the series has been called. And last week, to give you guys a little bit of a, a catch up on where we were, we were in Joshua chapter number six, and we were in verses one through five. And in those verses, what we did was we actually had a message that was called God's battle plan. And what had happened at this point in time was there had been... Uh, the, 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 the plan that God delivered to them on how they were going to take Jericho. And what we saw was it was really a twofold plan. One part was going to the Israelites and the other actually was going, was going to us. Because our Jericho, the Jericho, understand that as we talked about in the past, the Old Testament is a picture book. So when we go to the Old Testament, we're going to see pictures that apply to us. Jericho is a picture of the world. We see it very, very clearly. Satan, the king of Jericho, is a picture of Satan. We see the, the influence of of Jericho, we see the damage and destruction that's taking place in that place. And we saw Rahab is, has heard the news, and the people have heard the news, and we know that the city's on lockdown. But what we saw was God gave them a battle plan. How are they going to get in? And so what we did last week is we actually took that battle plan and we took it apart. We saw four different dynamics in it. Okay, We saw, first of all, the objective. The objective. The objective for them was Jericho. They were to go to get to Jericho. Now, what was interesting about Jericho is we found out that the people were afraid. They were riddled with fear, and because of their fear, they had locked down the city. This fortress of a city was completely locked down. Nobody's going in, nobody's coming out. And what we saw was the fact that this was what they were to do. They were supposed to go out and reach them. And what we find is the fact that, and when you apply the battle plan to our lives, guess what? Jerichos. Jerichos are people, right? We see the world around us. There are people that are walled off. You ever meet those folks? Man, their walls are six foot thick, 100 feet thick, man. They're walled off. They're shut down. And you know why? Because they're afraid. They're afraid. They're afraid of the influence of, of a relationship with God might have to them, what they might have to give up. And all these fears keep people on lockdown. But the good news is God has a plan to break through. Because guess what? A lot of us were Jerichos at one point in time in our lives, right? Miss Karen, were you a Jericho? Amen. <laughs> we were, man. We were locked down. We were afraid of what, of what a relationship with God, what we'd have to give up. And we did not realize that it was the key to freedom Amen. to open our hearts to the truth. Then we looked at the assurance, right? We looked at the assurance. The assurances that God gave. God told him, hey, guess what? This thing's a foregone conclusion. It's already been accomplished. Because guess what? God had already seen the victory. He said, look, if you'll just simply follow me, if you'll just simply put faith in this battle plan, it's going to work out great. Just, just trust me. Then we looked at the unorthodox instructions that came, right? With all the circling of the city and blowing horns and all this crazy stuff. And what it did was we realized the fact that God was giving them a plan that didn't make a lot of sense. They weren't going to logically go, of course this is going to work. No, they were like, whoa, this doesn't, this doesn't make sense. So what happens is it took faith. It took faith to be willing to be trust, right? What happened was Joshua was a, great, a man of great faith. So Joshua doesn't question anything. He just immediately responds and accepts what he's told as the gospel. He's like, look, I'm going to do this. And what we've got to realize is they will faithfully follow him 
they will see the victory. And what we got to realize is the fact that Joshua is the Hebrew rendering of the name Jesus. And what happens is you and I, if we follow our Joshua, the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, look, I've got a battle plan. <laughs> it may not make sense to you all the time, but if you'll just do it my way, guess what? I'll bring the victory because it's, it's just on the horizon. And then when we applied this battle plan and we thought about it, there was this other part. There was this miraculous promise. The miraculous things that were going to happen if they would just be faithful. And what we saw was the fact that God was going to work on their behalf. He was going to do something that just didn't, didn't make any sense. He would do what, would we, would, what we would list as, as miraculous or impossible. And what's cool is the fact that we think about in our own lives how we can look back and realize that God's given miraculous promises to us. Amen. Right? Amen. And we can think back to occurrences and situations where God intervened in places where we would go. It's not going to happen, God. It's impossible. Yet we've seen lives change. We've seen circumstances change. We've seen God intervene in places in times when he should not have, according to what the world would tell us. And we see that God gives promises of his power. And what we know is the fact that, you know what, as you and I are trying to reach our Joshua, our Joshua, our Jericho, guess what? God can do the impossible. Amen. Instead of giving up and thinking, you know what, I, I, I'm not sure. I don't, I'm not, I don't know, I mean, they're a hard case. God's like, hey, man, I specialize in hard cases. You used to be a hard case, by the way. Amen. And guess where you are today? Praise on my name, just so you know. Anyway, um, but, but what we see is the fact that, guess what? God has given them the battle plans. We received that last week. And now what's happening is Joshua's prepared to lead. The battle plan is in order. And now what happens now is the, the children of Israel now preparing to go to Jericho, okay? So what we're going to see today, today's message is called Avengers Assemble, right? If you've ever seen the Avenger movies, right, I know you're probably thinking, whoa, there you go, boom. Now, but we're in Joshua chapter 6. It won't be more Iron Man. I have an Iron Man suit in my house. I almost wore it, but no, I didn't, I didn't really. Uh, <laughs> I thought it might be a distraction if I was preaching from an Iron Man suit. Um, but we're going to be in Joshua chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9 this morning. So let me uh, pray for us, and then we'll jump right into it. Thank you, Lord God, for this gift of uh, your word. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to my heart. Lord, I have diligently prayed and studied, and uh, Lord, I've asked you to speak to me, and I know that you have, and I'm asking you, Lord, now that you would just uh, remove me, that you would speak through me. Uh, Lord, uh, my desire, Father, today is not to be heard, and I do pray that know that you have something for us, and Lord, I do pray for every soul that's in here lost or saved, that, God, our hearts would be receptive to what you have for us, God. Your spirit is present. Lord, your spirit can break through the thickest walls that we can possibly imagine, God. So we do pray for the Jerichos in our lives, Father, that you will intervene. And, Lord, that we will truly assemble as you call us. In Jesus' name, amen. So Joshua chapter 6, verses 6 through 9, it says, And Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said unto them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said unto the people, Pass on and compass the city, and let him that is armed pass on before the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass, when Joshua had spoken unto the people, that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns passed on before the Lord and blew with the trumpets. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priests that blew with the trumpets, and the rearward came up after the ark, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. Okay. So as a reminder, what has just taken place, just to give us a visual of what's happened. So we've had a pre-incarnate um, arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came as a messenger that they didn't really recognize or didn't know who it was in Gilgal. Joshua saw this messenger. What happened was he came and he relayed God's plans for the victory at Jericho. Now Joshua's taking those plans. He's going, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to relay these to the people. But notice this. Remember, God gave assurances to Joshua, right? 
what you'll find is the fact that Joshua does not share those assurances with the people. He's expecting them to trust him and to follow him. And, be, and he's confident. He's saying, look, your job is not to question. Your job is simply to follow the instructions that I give you. Because guess what? God rewards faithfulness. Victory is on the, on the horizon if you'll simply follow God's battle plan, right? So that's what he's trying to tell them. Hey, listen and pay attention. So not only does he not give them the assurances, but guess what? He doesn't give them any instruction otherwise. He doesn't, no, no uh, explanation per se. They just immediately says, hey, look, this is what we're going to do. So Joshua right now, what he's going to do is he's going to assemble the people. This is all a matter of creating that giant mass of people that's going to go to Jericho. In verses 6 and 7, what we're going to see is 6 and 7 are going to be the call. Okay. Then we're going to see in 7 and 8, is that, or actually 8 and 9, that's going to be where they're going to actually assemble. So we're going to break it up into those two halves, 6 and 7, and then 8 and 9. So first let's look at who is called, then we're going to look at who or how they assemble. Now, I'm not sure if you guys, I'm sure you're all thinking in regards to the Avengers title, the cuteness of that. But what I want you to do is not visualize Thor and Iron Man and all those guys. Don't throw them out of your mind. But realize the fact that the Israelites are Avengers. Okay? What does an Avenger do? A Avenger writes a wrong. Right? They go and they write a wrong. And the Israelites, that's what they're doing. Canaan was a place that at one point in time, guess what? That was where Abraham lived. This was God's land, the promised land that God had given. And what happens now? They're coming in to correct a terrible wrong. They've come to take what used to be God's and return it back to him, back to the rightful owner. Now, pay attention. Listen to this. So taking a pagan nation that is sold out to evil, that at one point in time used to be God's territory, and trying to restore that broken place back to a relationship with the God that created it. Right? Because over time, guess what happened to that nation? It lost its identity. Right? It used to walk with God, but now it's a pagan nation. Does that sound like anywhere else we can possibly relate to? I'll let you use your imagination. So with that understanding, we're going to first examine all who is called. Okay? Who is called? Verse 6 7 says this. And Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said unto them, Take up the ark of the covenant. And let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said unto the people, pass on, encompass the city, and let him that is armed pass on before the ark of the Lord. And we're going to be three different things that I want to pay attention to in this call. First of all, we're going to look at the order, of the, the order that they're called. So first we see that the priests that are to bear the ark, they're the first ones that are to be recognized, the first ones to be called. And we have studied these guys extensively. We went through the Exodus study, and we've seen who these men are, what their job and representation is. Now, they're to carry the ark of the covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is the most holy object that has ever existed on planet Earth. It is exclusive and extremely important. But we know that because it's so holy, no one was able to touch it with their bare hands. That only happens one time, and the man that touched it died on the spot. His name is Uzziah. He did not survive. So you're never to touch it. Now, they had poles, these staves that are long sticks. If this was the Ark, long sticks that came out. They were never to be removed. There was never to be any temptation to ever touch the ark with your hands. It was always, look, if it's going to be moved, this is the way we move it, right? So these guys, these four men, are going to carry this thing. Now, it's estimated to be up to 1,000 pounds. That's about 250 pounds. You ever, like, carry something that's thin on your shoulder? Doesn't that feel great? Nice and heavy, like a thin little stick. Imagine walking around for hours carrying this thing on your shoulders. So this is no small task that we're being asked of these men. Then we see there were the priests that were to bear the trumpets. Now, what's interesting, these are trumpets of ram horns, and we're going to get to a minute why that's relevant, that they're ram's horns. But we don't know a lot about these guys. We know they would have been Levites, okay? They're priests. 
Now, Levites were the, they were the tribe that was set aside. They were the ones that were sanctified unto God. They were the priest class. And what happens, these men, there's seven of them that are chosen. Now, there are thousands of Levites. So there's seven men are chosen specifically to fulfill this job. Now, we're going to understand why that seven is relevant in a little while. That's a really, really important factor. Then let's look at the armed men, right? The armed men. Now, we think about this and we go, well, how many armed men is this? Because we always kind of like, I don't know about you guys, I'm a visual person. I like to, like to visualize things. I've got the seven, I've got the four, I see the guys with the ark in my head. I'm like, okay, how many guys are in front of them? A couple hundred, maybe a thousand. Well, cool thing is God tells us exactly how many there are. Look at this. We've got a numbers. What's happened is those that were delivered out of Egypt, there were 603,550 men that were delivered out of Egypt over the age of 20. Out of those men, all of them die except for two. So another census is taken in Numbers 26, verse number 2. It says this, Take the sum of all the congregation of the children of Israel from 20 years old and upward throughout their father's house, all that are able to go to war in Israel. So these are all that are, that are viable to fight. Verse 51 tells us the number. These were the number of the children of Israel, 600,000 and 1,730, right? So we have 601,730 men, 601,730 men that are eligible to fight. But notice there's a qualifier. He says, those that are armed, okay? Meaning there may be some, obviously, that are not armed, right? Because weaponry was not something that was commonly found. You couldn't go to Walmart and go buy a sword, right? It does not... An option. There's no Amazon to drop it off at your house. So what happens is some of these guys would be armed and some of them that wouldn't be. So do we know exactly how many this is? We really don't. But we have a ballpark. This is maybe hundreds of thousands of people. You ever been to a stadium? 60, 70,000 people in a stadium and you're like, oh man. Try to like three or four times that much. Standing in a line. Preparing to go. I mean that's just like kind of boggles the mind. When you're in the parking lot you're like, man this is a lot of people. Try to like quadruple that. It would be an unbelievable sight. So then we're going to consider what they carried, okay? What they carried. Now, we think about these people, these men that are going to carry the Ark of the Covenant. What's so cool about the Ark of the Covenant, this was a, a, the Ark was a decorative box. Okay? An Ark is a box. You see an Ark uh, that, that, that Moses was put in, and he was sailed down the river in an Ark. Then uh, Noah was put into an Ark. It's a, it's a container. So this Ark that God has made, Moses is told by God to create it. They made it out of something called shittim wood. Shittim wood is very similar to what you would find today as acacia wood. It's a super, super hard, hard wood. But what's interesting about that wood is the fact that it is a corruptible material. Okay? What that means is it rots. Right? If I have a tree and I lay it on the ground, in a thousand years I go back, that tree's not going to look like it used to look. It's going to be rotted and it's going to return back to the earth. The very same way that a human body does. Right? So what we see is in this, this picture of this corruptible material, God is in fact picturing humanity. But then check it out. It's to be completely encased in pure gold, okay? Gold is an incorruptible material. If I take a gold bar and lay it on the ground a thousand years later when I come back to it, guess what it's going to be? Gold bar. It's incorruptible. It's going to be exactly the same. So we see that, and guess what? That incorruptible is a picture of deity. So we have a picture in the ark of corruptible man and God. God was, Jesus Christ was fully human and yet fully God. There's a picture in the ark. Remember, the Old Testament is the picture book. We look back and we go, oh, dang, snap, I checked that out, man. That looks like Jesus. Right on, man. And it's throughout the Bible is like that. You just see it time and time and time and time again. So we see this picture. Then check it out this. So then guess what? Inside of the ark, it contains the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were the, the written word of God. Literally, the Bible says in Exodus, written with the finger of God. 
So here we have the word of God contained inside of the ark. And check it out. What does Revelations 19.3 say about Jesus Christ? Listen to this. In his return, it says this. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the word of God. He is the word, right? So we look at this. Jesus is the word, and the word is Jesus. Then on top of that, guess what? It's got a solid gold lid, solid and pure, which just happened to have a crown of gold all the way around it. And in the center of that solid gold lid, there's something called the mercy seat. And when blood was applied... To pay for sin, guess where it was poured? On the mercy seat. Again, a picture of the Lord. So the, the ark is a picture of God's word, which in fact, you know, the Lord, you know, the Bible says in, in John 1.14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Son, full of glory, right? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus is a picture of, he's pictured in the ark, and so is the word of God. And what's the job of the priests? What are they to do? They're to take... The word of God, a picture of Christ, to Jericho. Mm -hmm. You and I, as believers, what are we called to do? If we're pictured as these priests, what do we see? 1 Peter 2.19 tells us that we are royal priesthood. That's us. That's 1 Peter 2.9. Philippians 2.16 says, what's our job? To hold forth the word of life. So we can see ourselves pictured in these priests that are to carry the ark to the world, to Jericho, the picture of the world. They're to bear God's word to the lost world. Taking Christ in the form of his holy word to our world. That's what God's expectation of us is. Then we look at the trumpets of ram's horns. This is cool. So check this out. So we look at the, it's very specific. It doesn't just list them as trumpets. It says trumpets of ram's horns, okay? So we look up ram's horns. That's what I always, you always do a word search. You're like, hmm, I wonder why it's ram's horns. And you look up the Bible and you search the entire Bible. And ram's horns only show up in one other place. And it just happens to be in the book of Genesis. Chapter number 22. This is where Abraham is told by God to offer his only begotten son, the one whom he loved. He's to offer him as a sacrifice. And what does God do? God will provide a substitutionary sacrifice in the form of a male lamb. Right? Listen to this in Genesis 22, 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for the burnt offering in the stead of his son. You notice if you're, you know, where the horns are on the head, right? So if you were caught in a thicket, which just happens to be thorns, this ram is literally caught in a ram's thicket. He's wearing a crown of thorns, picturing the Lord, depicting the redemption of the Father for mankind. And remember, whenever they were going up, right, God's going to provide a sacrificial lamb. And Abraham, when they were going up the mountain, Isaac turned to his father and he said, Father, we have the wood and we have the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And listen to the way God words it, Genesis 22, 8. And Abraham said, unto my, he said, Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. Do you think the wording is by accident? God will provide himself a lamb a lamb for a burnt offering, so they went together, right? It's all picturing the Lord Jesus Christ. The only other place where the ram's horn shows up is there. These horns were specifically made. The trumpets are made of ram's horn to point to the sun. The Bible's constantly pointing itself, constantly pointing to the return of the king. It's always pointing to Christ. So the connection 
We see that with the ram's horn. But check it out, just trumpets in general. We just look up trumpets in the Bible. We just look at them and go read them. There's a lot of verses, just so you know. <laughs> takes a little while <laughs> to go read all the trumpet verses. But what's cool about it is you find a consistency. They're always about announcements. They're either announcing a battle or they're announcing a celebration, something. It's an announcement. The trumpet is a, is a clarion call to announce something. And what we see here is they're going to be announcing the arrival of the people in Jericho. Jericho is going to hear, hear about the, the coming the coming of the people. And what's interesting about this is this trumpets, when you find them in Scripture, there's a really cool thing that you start to see that starts to stand out, which is really, really interesting. And the fact that when in Exodus, I think it's Exodus uh, 19, yeah. Exodus 19, when God comes down on the Holy Mount, right? Whoa, hello. There's your song. Um, when God comes down on the Holy Mount, he arrives, right? And it's lightning and thunder and the ground is shaking and the people are freaked out. They're looking at the mountain like, oh, everybody's just scared to death. And then they hear this trumpet, ba-ba! And when it does... The Bible says, as a voice, the trumpet as a voice, and it freaks them out. Check it out when we go to Revelation 1.10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Revelation 4.1, after this I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. This is pointing to the rapture, guys. And it says, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Trumpets are directly related to the voice of God. Is it possible that God's picturing for us that not only do we take God's word to this world, but that we're supposed to tell his word, we're supposed to proclaim his word, that they should hear it in our voice and in our life? Because I'm telling you, man, there is coming a day. There is coming a day. That our Joshua is going to come back and he's going to reclaim this lost land. And it's not by coincidence that there are seven trumpeters with seven trumpets. Because when the Lord comes back to judge this earth, there just happened to be seven trumpets involved in Revelations 8.2. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Trumpets, man. And they will bring judgment upon this earth. But check it out. Until that day when the Lord does return, guess what? God's giving us a picture. Check this out. Because they're supposed to circle for six days. And they blow the horns for six days. The picture book, right? What's God telling us? What's he saying? You and I have been given six days to reach this lost world before it's too late. And we go, six days? I don't remember that in the Bible. Let me explain. Okay? Six days. God says this in 2 Peter 3 8. Okay? He's going to define something for us extremely important. Listen to how he says this. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. He says, if you don't miss anything, if you're going to get one thing out of everything I tell you, get this. This is key. That one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. He says, I'm going to give you a rubric to look at the world, to look at the word of God. I want you to take this lens and take a look. <laughs> so when you see thousands in one day, I want you to understand there's a correlation there. Check it out. The Old Testament, guess how long it covers? About 4,000 years. And what year are we in? 2021. About 2,000 years. The Bible lists that our human history is going to be about 6,000 years. So if we did it in days, that'd be six days. For six days, they're sounding a warning. And what happened on the seventh day? 
God brought rest. And guess how long it just happened to be? The sixth day, then the seventh day. How long is the rest of Jesus Christ on this earth? A 1,000-year millennial reign. It's pointing to the creation story. It's pointing to Christ's return as well. And there will come out, I'm telling you, we are in the waning moments of our day. We are at the last days. We can look at our culture and see it sliding into a hole. We can look at this place getting worse and worse and worse. And the Bible says as it was in the days of Noah. What was going on? People were eating and drinking and they were doing all these things to fill themselves. The debaucherous life. Go online to that. That's all you see. That's all that's being fed to our children. It's garbage, garbage, garbage. The Lord's return is imminent. Listen to this in Revelations 19 verses 14 through 16. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses collected in fine, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. That's us. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he should treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. The wrath of God is being stored up as we speak. This is the age of grace, but wrath is coming. And he, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. God is going to bring judgment upon the earth. We're in the age of grace where God's holding back his wrath. And that's the thing. Guess what? Six days to circle. Six days to sound the warning. And that sharp sword, guess what it just happens to be? A picture of the word of God. It's the word of God. God's word. It's the power of God's word. He's going to bring judgment upon this world. So as we look at this and we think about this, when his voice is heard, just like Jericho, the world's defenses are going to fall down flat. No one's going to stand up and go, oh, yeah, let me show you. The Bible says the mighty men shall whimper and cry. The Bill Gates of the world who have everything under control. I had no idea. I really I didn't think you were real. I just, I, I told people it was a joke. They will whimper and cry and beg for mercy. And he'll say, for six days, I've been sounding the warning. But you shut your heart off to me. So let me consider then those that are armed. What are they carrying, right? So we've seen the, the ark, then we've seen the trumpets, and these men that will be armed. As I said before, weaponry did not come easily, right? These could be clubs, they could be swords, they could be spears. We really don't know what's relevant here. And if it was relevant, God would tell us what they were, but he doesn't, right? But what's relevant is the fact that they're, they're ready to fight, right? They are willing to stand and go to war, displaying their willingness to trust God, to walk forward for the glory of God, and recognize the fact that this is a picture for us to pay attention to. As soldiers of the cross, you and I are to be prepared to stand for what's right. To be able to stand and proclaim the truth to someone. Not in anger, not in hatred, not in judgment, but in love. Right? Share the truth in love because we're not going to reach people through anger. I'm not going to judge someone and point my finger at them and tell them, you wicked sinner, right? Because guess what? Every time I point this way, hello. Man, I, I'm just, I, the only thing different between the, the two of us is time and the intervention of God. I was straight on my way to hell, man. This is a matter of seeing people for who they are, lost souls that need a Christ, that need a Savior. And Jesus died for them, and he loves them just as much as he loves us. There's no special love for you and me. Amen. We're all his creation. 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5 says this, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. We honor God by the way that we live, the things that we do, the life that we're trying to, to portray to this world because we realize that this life's not about us. We're about reaching them. They're going to see Christ in us. That's the key. Remember, guess what? The Old Testament's a picture. Guess what? You and I are a picture to the lost world. We are a projection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says that you might take on the fullness of the stature of Christ, that they might see him in us. 
Verse 5 says this, Who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Because guess what? Just like the Israelites, they know victory is coming. But see, it's got to be through him. It's not through their power. It's their faithfulness to show up. That's what God's asking of them. You just show up. So we've seen the order of the call, what they were to carry. Next, let's consider the way they should go. Verses 6 and 7 again. Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let even seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said unto the people, Pass on, encompass the city, and let him that is armed pass on before the Ark of the Lord. So verse 6, we see the four priests, they gather up the Ark as they're supposed to. But what we see then is after that, the other two groups are supposed to pass on before the Ark. The Ark is important because guess what? It becomes this linchpin. This ark is a representation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a representation of the presence of God on the earth. It's a representation of God's word. I mean, it's to be central, right? Every decision that they're making is centralized. It's all circling around where the ark is, right? That's the key. God's trying to tell us that the Lord should have, we should have the, the Lord in the center of our life. Every decision I make, every choice I make, as I'm planning my, my, my attack on whatever it is I'm going to face in this world, the ark must be the thing that determines where it is I go. It has got to be centralized and important. Every orientation of my life must be designed and done around the word of God. Because recognize the fact that it's, it's through submission to God's word. Right? How does God reach us? Through the word, through the word, through the word. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man come to the Father but by me. He is the key. It's got to be centralized around him. So we see there in, in verses 6 and 7, but then guess what? They come together in verses 8 and 9. This is where it all starts to sort of happen, right? So the location determines everything about what's going to take place. And I want you to pay attention, first of all, to the immediate response of the Israelites. Okay, they respond just like that. He, shall, he does not share with them the assurances. He does not give them any explanations. They simply respond. Can you imagine that? Just telling somebody a need and they just, just do it. I don't think that's necessarily what happens in lots of churches, right? People hear about a need and they're like, whew, I hope people take care of that. <laughs> Someone's bound to show up, right? And then you got 10% of the church that's going, carrying this Johnson giant load. They're the ones that are there early and staying late and bringing stuff in and working and doing all this stuff. And everybody else is like, man, look at them go. Whew. Good job, buddy. Our church is killing it, isn't it? We love the group identity when someone else is doing the work. But what's happening here is, and I praise God, the fact that whenever I give out something here, like I mentioned the Philippines, and guess what? Before we know, we had 500 pounds of food out there. I mentioned about the glasses. We're not even close to getting that container going. We've already got glasses coming in from, for, from Malawi. You know, we, you guys do a great job of doing that, but I don't think it's the norm. I think that most churches, people just kind of sit back and expect someone else, yeah. someone else to do it. So I'm thankful for you guys. Very, very, very thankful for you. But So we look at the order that they were called. We look at what they were to carry, then the way they should go. And next we're going to look at how they assemble, okay? How do they assemble? Verses 8 and 9. It says, and it came to pass when Joshua had spoken unto the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram horns passed on before the Lord and blew with the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. So we find here's the trumpeting priests. They pick up their ram's horns and they're immediately, they're going to, they're immediately going to go and they're going to go by uh, before the ark of the Lord. So they're going to pass by it, but they're going to go in the leadership role. Take note again that the ark, everything is about that ark. And it's interesting. That at this point in time, look at how it's phrased, okay? Before it was the Ark of the Covenant. They were supposed to pass by this piece of furniture. But look at what it says in that verse. The seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram horns passed on before the Lord. Doesn't say they passed on before the Ark anymore. Joshua is seeing the Ark with the eyes of God. 
He's seeing it with spiritual eyes. He sees it as the Lord Jehovah God. They pass on before God. These men that are burying the ark, man, they're in line. So we hear the, the trumpeters go, and then the, the men pick up the ark, and they, they get in line as well. Verse 9 says this, And the armed men went before the priest that blew with the trumpets, and the rearward came up afterward, after the ark, the priest going on and blowing with the trumpets. So what we see here is the order actually is very different than the way they were initially called. It actually is, is virtually it's in reverse. It's opposite. Before, we had the ark was going to go. That's the way they were called. The ark, then the trumpeters, then the men. But what we find here is it's going to be the men, then the ark, or then the trumpets, then the ark. And what's interesting about this is the fact that just because they're called that way doesn't mean the way that that's, they're, they're, they're to, be, to, be, to be followed through with. And we think about this. This could potentially be, if we think about this, this group of men, let's say it's 500,000. Let's say 100,000 didn't have sword. Let's say it's 300,000. A bunch, right? 300,000 men marching towards Jericho. And they're to go first. Why do they go first? Because, see, the ram's horns are going to be after that. 300,000 people would take a long stretch of folks. So what's interesting about that is the fact that they're going to see the soldiers before they ever hear the trumpets, right? They're going to see this line of soldiers way before they hear the trumpets. And we see that the, the breakdown is it's going to be the soldiers, then the trumpeters, then the ark, and then there's this rearward guard. We don't know a lot about them. We, maybe this is the unarmed guys. Maybe they're in the back guys. They're like, well, we don't have weapons, but we want to go. <laughs> I don't know what the deal is. But what's interesting about them is they're the only ones that actually have a view of the ark. They're the only ones that can actually see it because they're actually walking behind the ark. They've got their eyes Eyes on the Lord, which is kind of a cool picture for us. And when we think about this, and this is where it starts to uh, kind of become personal for us, okay? Because I want us to sort of, like I said, visualize what's going on here. Let's imagine ourselves in this army. Remember, the Israelites, as a body, they picture the individual believer, okay? So here is a task that's been given to the Israelites to go reach Jericho, to avenge what has been lost, to return back to God. Now, check this out. Is it possible that God's intention is that the world, the people that we're trying to reach, would see the marching feet of our life before they hear our voice? That's good. Right? That's good. Is that possible? Amen. God's trying to tell us something. That your walk is so important for people to see Amen. before they hear your words. Because right. there's a lot of people out there who want to claim Christian. They're all about the lingo. Got a Bible in the back window of their car. They got a tattoo on their shoulder. They got a t-shirt, right? But their life does not line up. And their friends that have watched them after they spoke and told them they were a Christian, and they go, oh, okay, because as soon as you do that, guess what they do? Well, let's just take a look and see what that looks like. <laughs> Christian fella, show me your stuff, right? And then we're walking. What do they do? They're waiting for us to fail. They want to find a reason to go, see, I knew they were a hypocrite. But what if we didn't say a word? What if we were just kind? What if we were just gracious? What if we were loving and understanding? What if we reflected Christ in the way we responded and the things, not that we said, but just the way that we lived our life? Imagine that. In Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. He says, I created you so that I could shape your life to look like me. That's the whole thing. You're supposed to be a Christian. That means to be Christ-like, like a little version of me. Remember back in Antioch, when they were first called Christians, they didn't claim the title. It was given to them. 
their walk claimed the title, then their words would follow. They were, they were substantiated by, their, by the actions that they'd already lived. And that's the whole point. If we meet people and our life has already told them that we're a Christian, they already suspected in our life, then when we mention God, they're going, oh, dang, I knew, I, was, I, I knew there was something about you, man. I know what it was, but now I, I got it. It's all coming together now. Yeah, 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 okay, okay, yeah, all right. Guess what? They're more apt to listen to us, right? Because our, our walk has already impacted, impacted their life. And see, these good works that, that he mentions here, that we're supposed to walk in them. And what's cool is the Lord Jesus Christ, when he refers to these same good works, guess what he tells us? He tells us what they're supposed to do. What's the purpose of our good works? To get a reputation for ourselves? Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, the ones that I created you to do, and glorify your Father which is Amen. in heaven. Amen. It doesn't say our good words will glorify our Father which is in heaven. But we're really times, so many times, we're much better at talking Christianity than we are in walking Christianity. It is our walk. Before someone ever knows we're a Christian, they should see it in our life. And then, notice this. Because if the trumpeters had shown up first, seven guys outside the city. Do you think the city would be like, oh, the trumpeters are here. Oh, run away and hide. Do you see seven of them? <laughs> no. If we want people to take us seriously, guess what? The walk is important. The walk is key. Because I can promise you that after hundreds of thousands of men have walked by and they're hearing, hum, 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 the people are like, oh, did you see? Dang, they're all around us, man. They're on that side too? Not cool, man. Not cool. You, what that, what's that sound? You hear the, oh, dude, and there's like the, I don't know what's up with those guys with the trumpets, but man, that, ain't, that can't be good. <laughs> right? There's an impact then. There's an impact. That's what God's trying to show us in this thing, man. We're trying to reach this world, but guess what? They need to see our walk before they see anything else. And the fruit of the Spirit that should come out of our life, man, that's the trumpet. It validates that what we're saying is true. When Paul and Silas were in jail, right? They were chained up in Philippi. And guess what? They're imprisoned. They're chained up. They're sitting in a dark prison. And while they're sitting there, instead of complaining and moaning and groaning, hey, let us out. Ring, 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 ring. Nope. They're singing praises unto God. Amen. Singing praises unto God. And then suddenly, an earthquake comes. Boom. The bars break open. Chains fall off their wrists. Boom. And everybody's freaking out. And the Philippian jailer's like, oh, great. Because understand, back then, a Philippian jailer, a jailer of any sort, if the, jail, if the people got out, not only did they, did they torture you, but then they would eventually burn you to death. Okay? That was what would happen to the jailer. So he's prepared to be tortured and murdered, so he's ready to kill himself. So he takes out his sword, and he's like, uh-uh, not me. He's getting ready to finish things off himself, and this is what happens. Check this out. Acts 16, verses 28 through 30. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. We didn't run. Amen. We're here. Their, their, their actions, what they've done in their life, has spoken volumes to this Philippian jailer. He listened to them sing. He sees that they're still here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Their actions had spoken to his heart, right? That's
that's, that's the key. It was what Paul and Silas had said with their life that gave him, gave him a receptive heart. The voice of the trumpet, man. The people are listening. And then they look down and they see four men. This mysterious veiled object. Because recognize the veil, you couldn't see the ark. When they disassembled the, the tabernacle, the Bible says that they would take the veil, the priests, and they would walk back over the ark and they would cover it. Then they would wrap it up and they made sure that thing was not to be visible. So they see this mysterious ark, the ark of the Lord. So in their quest to take back the promised land, what were they to do? Their job was to bring God's word to Jericho. And in our quest to reach the people of this world, to bring them back to God, we must realize that our instructions are to take God's word to the world. Man, this evil has a stranglehold on this planet. It's clear and evident. But see, God created it for something special. He created it to be a place of peace and of love. And he wants to use us to take it back. One life at a time. How do we impact our planet? One life at a time. How does our life touch someone else? How do we walk? How does the impact of the gospel touch them through our life? Because I'm telling you, it's the personal connection that wins people. When we got saved, Amory and Tony came to our house. It's my wife's sister. And we listened. I didn't, I didn't go, hey, I'm all excited to hear about Jesus. Man, let's do it. Bring it in here. You're like, oh, you got a Bible. Great, let's get to it. I was like, I've never seen a Bible before. I didn't do well in school. So the idea of studying, boo. Bible, bah, whatever. So I wasn't like, man, let's get to this Bible study, buddy. I can't wait to hear what you got to say. I sat with my arms crossed and said, you know what? Let's just get this over with. And there's people that are watching this or maybe here today and you're going, maybe that's your attitude. Let's just get this over with. And hey, you know what? I can understand that attitude. But can I promise you that God loves you right in the midst of your anger and in your rebellion? And when he went to the cross, he had us in mind. In August 11, 2001, when Christy and I slid down to our knees, I was a rebellious sinner on my way to hell. But because of the love of someone who was praying for us, God came to that Jericho. And their walk had already touched my wife's life. And when the trumpet started to sound, I may not want to listen in the beginning, but I really started to listen. And sure enough, when the shout went out, the walls of my heart came tumbling down. God broke through. And so as the call goes out from God, Avengers, assemble. The question is this. Will we pick up our sword? And will we line up and go to war? Or will we roll over and take a nap back at camp? Because it's too much of a distraction. Too much work. Too much risk. I'm just not willing to do it. Avengers, assemble. That's what God's calling us to do. Avenge this planet. Bring this broken world back to me. Amen. Because he loves them. And we have to love them too. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for giving us this.
this word. Thank you, Lord, for the incredible examples we see in Scripture. Thank you, Lord, for the call to action that you've given us. Help us, Lord, to have ears to hear. God, I do pray for every soul in this building. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us. Lord, not to just have ears to hear the message, to acknowledge it, recognize it, maybe even affirm it in our hearts, but, Lord, not let it translate into action. I guarantee you there were people that stayed on the sidelines. Every day, the lost cross our path. So many times, we do nothing. We do nothing. Our time is growing short. Soon enough, the seventh trumpet is going to sound. God, I do pray that you'll help us as a people, as a body, to get serious about those things that are important to you. The lost souls around us, God, are so direly important, and the way to reach them is through us. So I pray that our walk will be consistent, and I pray that our words will do nothing more than validate the light that people see lived in us. With their heads bowed, with their eyes closed, if, if you're here today and you say, look, Pastor, I need prayer, pray for me. As a member of the church, as a, as a Christian, that I can get serious about my walk, that I can get serious about what it is that God asked me to do. Lord, help me. If your prayer is, hey, you know, amen, I see that hand. You say, look, raise my hand. Raise your hand and say, look, you know what? Pray for me, Pastor, because I want to do more. I want to be a soldier for the cross. I want to be, amen, I see that hand. That we might be the people God's called us to be and make a difference in this world. And then those that are here today, and you say, look, you know what? I don't know where I stand with God. Listen, I understand what that feels like to not know. I know what, it's, I know what it feels like to be afraid. I know what it's like to look in, into your life and think, you know what? Is this what it's all about? And not realize your purpose. Recognize the fact that God loves you and he, say, he died on the cross to save you right in this moment. He brought you here or watching this message online and he's speaking to your heart. And he's gripping you. All he's asking you to do is respond. It does not take any work for you. Jesus has done the work on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. His death was to save the world. And as he reaches out right now, all he needs you to do is respond. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not a might be, not a could be. It's a promise. And if he's calling your heart right now, all you have to do is respond. If you've responded, praise God. If you feel like you're away from God, time to come back. But if you've never received him, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. This is not a magic prayer. It has nothing to do with me. If you think it's about the prayer, don't do it. This is about your heart calling out to God. So no matter where you are, if you're in your car listening to this recorded 10 years from now, Jesus Christ is waiting on you, even now. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, repeat after me in your heart and mind. Repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know, I know that I'm a sinner. I'm so sorry for the way that I have failed you and my family and myself. Lord, I come today broken before you and a heart, God, that's ready to receive you. I trust that you died on the cross, that you paid the price for my sins. You love me and that you want to redeem me. God, right this moment, I turn from my wicked ways. I submit my heart to you and I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Help me live for you. I thank you for your love. I thank you for salvation. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Listen, if you're here today, if you prayed that prayer, if you prayed it online, listen, God wants to do a work in your life. And our goal is to help you to grow in your knowledge and understanding of how your life, your walk, can impact the people that you love. Because the night we got saved, the first question I had was, what about my brother? What about my mom? What about my dad? God's got us here to reach them. Let your life, your walk, touch their life. We want to help you to do that. Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the gift of the word. We thank you for the time you've given us. We do ask, God, that you please help us to leave this place. Lord, as soldiers of the cross, we would stand for what's right to proclaim the truth through the life that we live and the words that we say. Help us to be a consistent, righteous example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for what you've gifted us with. I pray, Lord, you'll bless us now and guide our hearts in Jesus' name.